Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the Fighting on Film Podcast, the podcast all about classic and obscure war movies. From the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords, if it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Hey Matt, what are you wearing? That's a snazzy t-shirt. Well Rob, I'm wearing the brand new final film t-shirt. It's available now at fightingonfilm.com in our merchandise shop. And it features Fighting on Film, the war movie podcast, inside a beautifully designed film reel frame. Amazing. And they are available at fightingonfilm.com? They are indeed. Celebrating our 150th show, you know. And speaking of 150th shows, let's get on with it. Hello, and welcome back to Fighting on Film now. We've talked about it over the last couple of weeks, but this is in fact our 150th, 150th Woo-hoo! episode of Fighting on Film. Woo-hoo! And to commemorate this, we are doing uh, a big one. We are, of course, covering the guns of Navarone. Yeah, what a classic! What a, what a what a proper like died in the wool classic to do. You know, we were we were racking our brains for a few weeks, thinking, "Oh, what should we do? The 150th." Should we should we be funny and do like a really obscure thing, or <laughs> you like you know try and get a big guest on maybe and do it? But we thought your no, clip we'll show. Clip show. I was I had this idea, and I, if you're at We Have Ways Fest, I might have run it by a few people, um, and they looked at me like I was insane. I was like I was going to do a clip <laughs> show of things we hadn't actually done, like a fake clip show, and like get AI voices and have like mm-hmm. you know, on we spoke to Steven Spielberg and it'd be like you know an AI Spielberg but I just thought that wouldn't work and only about three or four people would get it um, yeah, it's too too meta too meta so we, we kiboshed that and yeah I mean guns down the road you can't go wrong but before we before we jump off on that one because there's a lot to get into um just wanted to talk a little bit about you know some of our 
favorite moments of the show so far like memories that we've got that we really like hold on to matt what, what about you there's so many I mean, it's 150 episodes it's really hard to pick out and at the same time a lot of a lot of the time i often forget we've done certain films same and i go oh that'd be a great one to cover and then i realize we have actually done it and the amount of times <laughs> we do that is, is crazy um for me it's it's amount the amount of like industry guests we've had mm. and, and some of those great interviews um you know like dale dyke i mean getting him on yeah. chatting to him getting is like dale on was amazing you know before you die type and, and stuff jim dowdle as, as well jim that was Dowd, incredible jim dowdle like learning how he <laughs> drove that burning marder in same yeah. Robert ryan just incredible you know and and charles mains when we went through the how you do sound that effects and folly work like amazing amazing you know tom petch for the patrol having a director on talking about their own films is such a treat um there's just uh, so much the Amber's private army guys um, oh, said, I mean, what a, the yes. boys, they were fantastic the amount, of, the, the amount of people that still talk to me about that show um you know and you know not to cat out of the bag early but maybe next year we'll have a little extra thing with um with one of them chaps if we can get it off the ground um but yeah i mean some great moments as well and some great moments that we've like done and and, and some phrases that we've coined like to me it always i always remember the wind talkers episode where you say <laughs> the director shat his pants all over the film <laughs> just so good oh my god <laughs> and then and then last week's rat-a-tat-tat gatling gun oh, quote. Rat-a-tat-tat. if you've not Head listened section. to that Go back and listen to it because it was it was so funny. Record like I'm sure editing there'll be more that, of that one. today. Oh, um, maybe, maybe. No, but we've yeah. done some really interesting films. You know, like The Hill. Mm. Um, you know, the heroes of of PT two one six. It's real gash out there. There really is deep, great films of the genre, Rob. Um, as well yeah. as, as as absolute D- dirty um, dozen December that nearly broke oh, us. Oh my word. <laughs> I enjoyed that though. You know, in hindsight, you forget the pain. You know, you do, you do. Yeah, you just remember the good times, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> and we're in that. We've got some great memories, Matt. And we're in that of retirement home for old podcastees, podcast makers. <laughs> yeah, it'll be us. It'll be us. Um, we have ways boys in the corner with some whiskey, regaling the old tales. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So, I mean. I mean, we probably should get into production first for this one. I think we? so. Guns and Avro, yeah. 1961. So, filmed in 1960, principally uh, on location in Rhodes in Greece. And then it was followed by another four months in uh, in London. And I'll talk a bit more about that in a moment. But sure. I watched um, a really interesting uh, little featurette, like a behind-the-scenes featurette, like a very early you know, the idea of making a feature about a film that's yeah. being made. I love it. It's very it. prim and proper, and, isn't it? I've seen the one you're talking about. And it was yeah. narrated by Carl Foreman, who was the producer and screenplay writer. And he's great. And he he talks about the making of the film and there's a little black and white um, behind the scenes footage of them on location and going to lunch. And Tony Quinn, like, jumps on the back of um, Tony Stanley Quinn. Baker Tony, at one point. You're on, you're on a... You're on friendly me, me terms. And anyway, um, me and big tone. We go way back, back in Albania with the SOE. I remember I was there. That's Quail. You, oh, you've, <laughs> you've quail? fucked it already. Oh, it's quail. God, that's no. Quail. There's two Tonys in there. Guadalcanal. There you go. <laughs> so, 
So it's really great. It's on it's on YouTube. Go and find yes, it. It's, it's really quality stuff. I'm sure we'll throw it on the Twitter this week. Mm. Um, I mean X, whatever it's called now. Um, but basically, uh, Foreman talks about a lot of the production side of things, and it's an absolute goldmine. Um, one of the most interesting things is the amount of help that Greece provided to make the film. Yes. Um, he he brokered a deal that allowed them to film on the island of Rhodes with the support and assistance of the Greek government and the Greek military. And mm. the way he tells it, they had to amend a treaty between Greece and Turkey that demilitarized the area to allow oh, wow. the Greek Navy and military to operate around and like assist in the actual production of the film. Wow. Blow blows my mind that if that's true, I couldn't corroborate it in, you know, the, 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 even mediating in the middle. Like, Come on, Jess, <laughs> just Let's get the picture of the line. There's only a bit of water. It'd be fine. Exactly. I had a thousand Greek soldiers to betray the German army. Um, we'll talk more about the kit that crops up from the sure. Greek army uh, and the navy. Um, the Greek prime minister visited. The entire Greek royal family visited on location. Wow. Um, and there's some great little shots of them all chatting to you know Gregory Peck and and the They all come to see me, David Niven. And their David. favorite, their favorite man. Hello, Your Majesty. <laughs> well, the way the way uh, the way Foreman puts it, it's European royalty meets Hollywood royalty. Oh yes, yeah, yes, yeah. love it, love it. So the film was was uh, was made for about six million, which is a huge sum for nineteen sixty, massive. Um, and it was the top grossing film of nineteen sixty one, and the box office was just under thirty million, which is again wow, huge that's some take. Day. Yeah, mm. exactly. Um. The amount of money that the foreman poured into this picture is insane. So, the gun cave at the end of the film that cost more than a hundred thousand pounds to Crikey. to build. Yeah, three stories high. It had to be built twice because rain damaged it the first time. Oh wow! Yeah, incredible stuff. Uh, and that was that was built at Shepperton, I believe, in London. Um, yeah. So filming was in Shepperton and then Elstree studios where they did that big storm sequence which is in the middle of the film and some of the swimming at the end where they jump off the cliff um of course the film is based on alistair mclean's 1957 bestseller um the plot's entirely fictional but the story takes place during that 19 that disastrous 1943 greek it's like campaign. faction a little bit isn't it yeah 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 exactly um there's lots of changes between the book and the film although many of the characters remain the same there's the identity of the traitor changes and some of the character traits are moved around a bit. And of course, um, Peck is playing a British character um, and he famously didn't want to do the accent. Um, famously, just like Niven last week, didn't want to do the yeah, American accent exactly, in real yeah. glory. It goes both ways. I wonder if he mentioned that, yeah. It's it's absolutely fine, Greg. I, I didn't bother in, the, in 1939 in the real glory either. So it's, it's, no one will care. It's right. Don't worry. <laughs> um, so McLean's famous for HMS Ulysses, Ice Station, uh, Ice Station Zebra, uh, When Eight Bells Toll, Where Eagles Dare, Force Ten from Navarone, prolific like novelist and, and screenplay writer. Mm. Um, but the screenplay for the actual film itself, as I mentioned earlier, was done by Foreman, um, and he himself was a prolific writer, uh, writing the screenplay for um, uh, The Bridge on the River Kwai, The Victors, and Young Winston as well. Oh, as wow. well as Force 10 later on in 1978. Mm. Um, during the war, um, 
helped out um, writing the script for Know Your Enemy, um, mm. the, the, the Japan entry in 1945. Uh, fascinating Capra did character, those, didn't he? He did. Capra. More yeah. on Capra in a, in a, in a moment. Um, he was blacklisted in the 50s as a communist sympathizer, so he came over and worked in the UK. Um, film was directed by uh, J. Lee Thompson, um, best known for Ice Cold and Alex in 58. Northwest Frontier with Ken Moore in 1959, which is a really great film. Cape Fear, 1962. Yes, absolutely adore Cape Fear. Um, the Passage in 1979. And Death Wish 4, The Crackdown. This oh, thing over wow. 1987. What a drop-off. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean, drop-off? <laughs> no, I know, but like, those, those Death Wish sequels are diminishing returns. They are, but... The only one's good I, I where he's got them. that bazooka. He's that's the one, isn't it? Is that I, a bazooka I think that's the one, one yeah. It? Right. Um, cinematography uh, was provided by Oswald Morris, who was a bomber pilot during the war. Um, wow. impact. Um, he worked on The Man Who Never Was, uh, Heaven Knows Mr. Allison, uh, A Farewell to Arms, the 1957 version, uh, mm. The Hill, um, mm. which you know, yeah. a, a film Lume. that we love on the, on, on the show. Watch. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, The Spy Who Came in from the Cold in '65. Uh, the Man Who Will Be King, 1975. Incredible film. The cinematography we'll on that to, is... We'll have to do that one. Stunning. Um, and, of course, uh, The Great Muppet Cape in 1981. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> I love I love it when we go into, like, the cinematography, like, credits, because there could be some wild stuff in there. We don't always have the time. I, no, I, we don't. In an ideal world, just going off tangent from a you know, classic pop i would love to do i'd love to have enough time to talk about the editors and the cinematographers every i know because we, we try and always don't we try and there's such important week, parts of the process of making a film yeah yeah and we we never really have much of a chance to discuss those yeah. side of things other than so I was, I was talking to some of the cinematography sorry i'm not name dropping but i was talking to a producer the other day about this um <laughs> planning an episode we're going to do soon yeah. Um, and I was saying that the thing we like to do on the show is just gently remind everyone every week that, look, these things just don't appear. And obviously, I know that everyone listening knows that. But I think it can be lost in the, in when you're talking about a film, you know, from the caterer, to the grip to the, the carpenters from the ground up. Like there's just this mm-hmm. entire mass of people that make this thing work just to get a camera in front of Niven and Peck. I think it's incredible. That's what, I think that's why we love films again, so much, don't we? Again, that that is really highlighted in that behind the scenes um featurette with foreman and you know they hired the same guy that did the catering for bridge over the river Kwai. yeah and the way he phrases it is well we thought if he could if he could serve lunch to 600 people in the salon jungle he'd manage it on roads piece of piss um, come on yeah. <laughs> great I, I can't recommend that feature enough um moving on the score was is by uh dimitri tomkin who yeah. uh, worked on what lots a, of westerns. What a theme. And, and it is amazing. It's great. It just, the way it's feathered through mm, all those sequences. The reprise of it every now and then. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It, it really, it's, I don't know why, but I always, it always, I always get confused with it, with the Zulu. It has a, to me, it has like a sound ish connection to Zulu. I don't know well, why. Well, it swells, doesn't it? It swells yeah, in a yeah, similar sort of way. It builds. Yeah. It's very mm. good. One of the classics. Well, Tonkin was a master of his craft, you know, nominated for 22 Oscars, won four of them. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, worked with Frank Capra throughout the war, worked on absolutely dozens of films with Capra. Um, yeah. Post-war worked on A Wonderful Life, Red River, The Thing, the original The Thing, 
um okinawa high noon uh take the high road ceasefire uh the alamo um, yes and 55 days at peking which is another niven movie yeah, um, it is, yeah and he he was paid rob he was paid the staggering sum of fifty thousand dollars which at the time was the most any film composer had been paid for a single film oh drinks on tomkin then right <laughs> blimey incredible amount of, of just credits well, i mean it shows in the world not it you yeah. know it it's the timeless a timeless movie theme on a lighter note um i i was reading niv uh, which is a authorized sort of biography of, of Niven and uh, it, it talks about how bored he was on set in Rhodes which frankly bored and Amazing. um I'd love to hear it. it it talks about he picked up a copy of the Hollywood Reporter one day and he, mm-hmm. he looked at the front cover and the splash was um that his his production company Four Star which he set up with Dick Powell and Charles Boyer had gone right. bankrupt oh. and, and and Powell and Boyer were, were like calling him out for being off sunning himself having fun in greece while their company's collapsing and they're going bankrupt and uh niven's like panicked he's stricken yeah. he's like oh my god what's happening like heading for the phone and then he realizes it's the april edition and it's an april fool's joke can you imagine can you imagine going you know what david's off on holiday at the moment we should definitely almost tank our company by putting out <laughs> Let's put the shits in, up in Niven. the industry paper <laughs> in the industry mag. We should just—we've gone bankrupt on the front cover. They bought the front cover for a joke. Wow, yeah, that's incredible. Like, it is infinite days. That's great. Just imagine Niven rushing around, all panic-stricken and hating the fact he's in roads as well. <laughs> but, what? What if he just like headed for the mess, Webley, and just give like, I, oh my god, jumped off a cliff or something? Like it's all over. I'm ruined. Ruined. So the film was nominated for seven Academy Awards in 1962. Best motion picture, best director, screenplay, best editing, musical score, and best special effects, which it won. Mm. Um, and the winners were Bill Warrington, who was a specialist with the visual effects, and Chris Greenham, uh, a sound uh, effects editor. And they, between them, have the most incredible careers. If you want to sit a gasp for five minutes, just go and have a look at their IMDb credit list. Mm. So many formative, incredible films that they both worked yes. on. Um, and that kind of rounds out production. Um, cool. It's a really fascinating production. There's a couple of things I'm going to pepper in throughout. Yeah, there's a hell of a lot um, more. We've got some extra tidbits here and there. I think Rob's going to mention in a moment as well regarding mm. Niven. But it, they worked them hard. They were working from like six till six most days. Um, and then those scenes for the storm sequence that they filmed in the tank, cold water. Um, apparently, Peck was like nailing the brandies. Um, yeah, and Niven was very. I nice. read that this week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Love yeah, it. I mean, that takes us into uh, yeah. into cast, Rob. So we'll do cast, and then we'll do the one web reviews and the retro review. So I mean, the cast. I mean, I've got it down here gargantuan stars of their day mm. it's like an avengers assemble level casting and i even think even now with what marvel who marvel get in for their avengers level movies it's they're still not as big as these classic pictures and, and the sort of the, the the huge names they get in so we'll go through and there's not enough time to mention everyone in it this week because it's a cast is just huge um, but obviously i've picked out yeah. the main players and i will be reading 
their character bios as we go along from my 1961 Guns of Navarone um, tie-in brochure. What a flex. What a I flex know. this is, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I know, right? Eight quid it cost me a few years ago. I just had to buy it. Um, so we have Gregory Peck as Mallory. Uh, once the greatest mountain climber in the world, he knew the job was impossible, but he had no choice for 2,000 lives were at stake. And uh, a five-time Oscar nominee uh, will be no stranger to uh, fans of the show. Porkchop Hill, Cape Fear, Hornblower, to, bl- to Kill a Mockingbird. He won the Academy Award for that in 1962. The Scarlet and Black, 12 O'Clock High, Boys from Brazil, I Could Go On Ad Nauseam. Peck, you know, is one of the classic Hollywood stars. Um, and I found a little tidbit from a Gregory Peck biography um, from 2002 by Gary Fishgall, um, talking about how Peck sort of described um, working with everyone and, and what they were like. So he says, Greg jokingly Ooh. described the complications as thus. David Niven really loves Tony Quayle, and Gregory Peck loves Anthony Quinn. Tony Quayle breaks a leg and is sent off to hospital. Tony Quinn falls in love with Irene Papas, and David Niven and Peck catch each other on the rebound and live happily ever after. <laughs> Perfect. I, I, I read somewhere that, that Peck was described the film as why are we carrying Anthony Quayle around all the time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I saw that as well. And then we have David Niven as Miller, uh, the misfit, but a genius with high explosives. After every obstacle was clear, everything would depend on him. Um, so David Niven is also an Academy Award winner uh, for Best Actor for 1958 Separate Tables. Interesting enough, he was 23 minutes in that movie. And it's one of the shortest performances ever to win an Oscar. Um, but, you know, as again, fans of the show will know most of these anyway. But he's in the way ahead. Best of Enemies, Charge of the Light Brigade, The Real Glory that we covered last week, A Matter of Life and Death, Dawn Patrol, First of the Few, Carrington VC and Paper Tiger. And that's only his war films. He's He's got so many more. Um, and I've got a little thing that he wrote um, in his 1971 huge smash um, bestseller biography, Moons of Balloon. And he said, the Guns of Navarone was a long and physically very arduous picture, culminating in five weeks in England in November, simulating a storm at sea by working nine freezing hours a day in a huge tank of filthy water. Nothing, he, nothing bad can happen in a big tank of filthy no, water, of course. surely. He didn't get really ill um, and had <laughs> to go to hospital and then um, sort of escape hospital in a way, come back and film and then get even more yeah. ill. Yeah. yeah. What a trooper. I'm not going to let them do the movie without me. I'm, I'm breaking out. I'll side myself. I, I hear, I hear Columbia shitting themselves about this yes. one. Peck's got a delicious bottle of brandy. I'll be fine. Anyway, um, then we have Anthony Quinn as Andrea, the Greek giant killer without mercy, who hated only two things in life: Germans and Keith Mallory. What? <laughs> Anthony Quinn, again, four-time Oscar nominee. Um, he was in They Died With Their Boots On, Guadalcanal Diary, Back to Bataan, Last Train from Gun Hill, Lawrence of Arabia and Lost Command, to name but a few. Um, another real big heavyweight oh, actor of his day. Yeah. Yep. Um, then we have Anthony Quayle as Franklin, one of the war lovers. He was unable to understand why none of the others shared his enjoyment of danger as Franklin. And Quell himself was, a, as we mentioned before, a mm. former SOE operative, um, worked in Albania with the SOE. Um, he wrote a, uh, I don't know what you would call it, like a semi-self-insert yeah. fiction. It's it's a somewhat autobiographical 
novel. Yeah, I guess. novel. That's it. Yeah, great read. Eight, he was eight a brilliant writer. I wish he'd written more. No, me too. Um, and that was reissued by the IWM lately. Um, the last couple of years, they re um, reprinted some war classics, and that's in there. Really recommend it to FOF listeners if you haven't given it a go. But anyway, Quail, Battle of the River Plate, Ice Cold and Alex, Lawrence of Arabia, um, HMS Defiant, Operation Crossbow, just another absolute, you know, back catalogue of movies and many, many more that I haven't mentioned. Uh, then we move on to Sir Stanley Baker as Butcher Brown. The Butcher of Barcelona, he had been killing longer than any of them. Since 1937 in Spain, he was about ready to quit, though he hardly knew it himself. And again, the best man with a knife I've ever seen. Yes. And again, you know, Baker, BAFTA winner. He was one of the most popular actors in England when they cast him. Um, apparently word is he people were surprised that he was he was in it because he's such a small role. But he really wanted to be involved because of all the other names. Um, but as I say, Baker's credits include Yesterday's Enemy, Hell Drivers, The Cruel Sea, The Red Beret, Zulu, Sea Fury, Hell in Korea, A Prize of Arms and The Last Grenade. And that's just his war work, not to mention the, the tons of neo noir noir movies he did in the 50s as well. Um, what a what a class act, one of my favorite actors of all time. Um, then we have James Darren as Papademus. It says the baby-faced killer from Navarone. They sent him to America for an education and he got the wrong kind. War gave him a license to murder. And James Darren all of four lines in yes, this. Yes, he didn't have much to do. Um, but no, it's a but bit he's... of a yeah, no, he's good. good. Everyone's great in this, but he's a little bit of a stunt casting for it today. Um, in 1961, he had a huge um, top three US Billboard 100 hit called Goodbye Cruel World. He was a pop singer and actor, as I yeah. mentioned. Um, Operation Mad Bull, all the young men. TV credits include Hawaii Five O, SWAT, and he was in Star Trek Deep Space Nine as Vic Fontaine. And I a hologram. Like that. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay, fair enough. Matt he was a hologram crooner from the 50s. Oh, wow, that's perfect. So he basically played himself as a hologram <laughs> form. Perfect. I love it. Then we have um, James Robertson. Oh, fun fact before you move on. No he problem. was on his honeymoon with his wife. He got married the day before filming began. Oh, amazing. Oh, well, so congratulations. They, they, <laughs> belated, very belated. <laughs> very belated. Um, they they had their honeymoon on, on roads. Oh, well, there, there you go. And at Columbia paid for the privilege. <laughs> Fantastic. Nice. <laughs> And then we have James Robertson Justice as Jensen. Oh. Um, he's essentially playing M. I read in a, a, bi- or a autobiography that someone wrote of him. Um, yeah. It's an autobiography, a biography, um, saying he's the M of, of the picture. Um, and he fought in Spain uh, in the Spanish Civil War for the Republic. And his films include For Those in Peril, Hornblower, Orders to Kill, Foxhole in Cairo. And um, he's in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang as the, yes. as the Baron or the Lord. I can't he's remember an, his name. He's an incredible presence. Whatever film he's in. No, he was the he was the owner of the sweet shop when he in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah, but no, he's a, one of those actors. He's just it was. I always think in this film, it's between him and Hawkins to have that role. Mm. And if Hawkins wasn't ill with cobalt treatment, yeah, he'd have got that role. Um, but it's just another absolute powerhouse. Then we have Brian Forbes as Cone. He's only in it for a, a small bit. Um, but Brian Forbes, The Wooden Horse, Culled It Story, I Was Monty's Double, Yesterday's Enemy, League of Gentlemen. I mean, what a, what a credit list again. Um, then you have a young Richard Harris as the Australian oh, pilot yeah. Barnsby. It was bloody awful. <laughs> or Ruddy, if you watch the UK version. Or Ru- oh, right, yeah. Oh, okay. The, the Channel 4 version is, is bloody. Um, well, it, when it first came out, they overdubbed. Apparently, they, uh, they dubbed the bloodies to ruddies 
Okay. Because well, the, the, the it would have been far too close to the bone. The, the, the Channel 4 streaming service, which is the HD version, which I must mm-hmm. add that Netflix did have, um, is well worth seeking out if you can put up with all the ad breaks. Richard Harris, again, he was a, he would he would go on to become an Academy Award nominee twice. I think he was in here as a telemark, long the short or the tall, Major Dundee, Wild Geese, Gladiator, The Snow Groose, Cromwell. We all know Richard Harris. He was also Dumbledore as well. He was supposed to, he was in, he was in line for the Miller role, wasn't he? Um, yes, apparently so. Yes. And so many people were attached to the Mallory and Miller roles. Mm. Um, I think like at this Harry point, Grant was Harris rumored and big enough, perhaps. Yeah. This is pre-sporting life, pre-Oscar nomination, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. He he he's doing a, an Australian accent in the, in this film. Sometimes it, it comes occasionally. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wanted him to be it more. I wanted them to take yeah. him along. If they could have worked him in as a new character, like saying, mm. "Oh, I know, I can get you in," or whatever. Maybe I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Um. Then we have Irene Pappas as Maria. Um, she was in Lions of the Desert, Zorba the Greek, and Z. Uh, we have Gia Scala, a Liverpudlian actress. Um, you'd never know from her accent. Um, as Anna, uh, Battle of the Coral Sea, TV show called Convoy, which is a 50s American um, serial about convoys, um, which you oh. I can't find a version of it online, which is a shame. Um, and she was also in 12 O'Clock High. And then just rounding out cast, because we be here forever, because there's a lot of people... Um, small roles for Michael Trubshaw. Obviously, it's the Niven film. Trubshaw's yep. going to be in there. Apparently, he was quite pleased when he found out that Niven was attached. It's only a small he role. He was Weaver, Weaver, wasn't he? Yeah, that's it. And they were both apparently in the Hyde and Light Infantry together during the war. That's how they knew each other. Um, and then I believe Car- Niven's cat badge at the beginning is it is HLI. Yeah. It is, yeah. Um, been learning some fascinating things about him and his time in the commandos from Tom Petch's SAS book, um, which everyone needs to go out and read. It's fantastic. Um, and then we have, and you can't have, you cannot have a classic. I already war know film. who you're going to say. I know you know. <laughs> you can't have a classic war film without the reputable Percy Herbert as Sergeant mm-hmm. Grogan in about two minutes of footage, but you Who's, just can't not have him in just... there. Just walks up to someone and says, the boat's ready, and then walks it's off. It's great. I love it. I love it. I wish Herbert was still with us, because the stories he must have had in oh, no. all these movies. Did um, he write a, a, a book at all, or did anyone I write don't, a book no, I don't think him? he did. I've never actually I looked, looked I keep meaning to. Yeah. I think we we, we made um, an AI an AI program, Make Us a War Movie, where Herbert played every character. Do you remember that? <laughs> Yeah, I do. Uh, but heroes or something, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so we moving... should have done a, an episode on that, really. <laughs> we really should. Maybe one day when we run yeah. out of ideas. Um, <laughs> then we have a retro review, and I've gone more recent for the retro review this week because I think, in retrospect, this is one of the movies that endures from that period quite well. Mm, um, so I went with Empire Magazine from 2006, um, penned by Ian Nathan. Good old Just... Empire. Yes, and I've um, picked two paragraphs this week. A hardy perennial of that grand edition of World War II Men on a Mission movies, usually adapted, as the case here, from gutsy McLean novels, this conventional but thrillingly made and performed adventure in many ways symbolises the entire subgenre. Its dedicated mechanics have been purloined by countless other movies, but never quite, but never quite to the same effect. J.D. Thompson understood the precision wrought simplicity avoiding ambiguity like an enemy patrol can reap glorious dividends the film was a big hit although beyond the calling of its plot the set of likable characters do come intelligently alive and there is a real 
directorial skill in the growing tension of the finale. This is not just a matter of blindly going through the motions, violently out of fashion, perhaps, but the inspirational in its own tidy way, a boy's own classic. It's a good review. Very. Yeah, I think it sums it up perfectly. Um, and moving on, if I can open my phone and bring it up, <laughs> this week's one word reviews. And obviously, I mean, thank you again, everyone, for your gargantuan um, response to our 150th episode announcement. Um, I mean, we knew a few of you knew because you listened the week before, but, you know, we were staggered. It's had nearly 40,000 views on X or Twitter, whatever we're calling it. Um, 300 and, nearly 330 likes at the time of recording. Um, wow. Just a massive response. Not only I'll be able to read a few, we'll be here for a while. Um, but our Burgos goes with Ogpa. We have David Current goes with Classic. Brian Williams, Philosopher. Lydia Jane, Niven and Peck, What More Could You Want? Um, Historic Firearms, I think we know him as Matthew Moss. My co-host um, and confidant goes with Ali, quite rightly. Lost in trans- Yes, Lost in Translation goes with Legendary. Um, Lance Nielsen goes with Classic. Uh, John G. Dooley goes with Boom. The Hansford Institute goes with Darren. Azzy goes with Harris Dubbing, all one word. <laughs> uh, David Hopes goes with Rat. And uh, Ken Reaney goes Why. Uh, Dr. Stephen Maturin goes with Impregnable. Edward Lewis rounds it out with Exceptional. And there were many, many more. but There were, there know, were literally hundreds. There were lots. Um, there was a lot, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it just Bumper proves response. it just proves how love this movie is. I mean, no, we know when we're going to hit them on the show that these movies are going to be like the outpouring of love for them is just so much. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about it later on, but the the, the place that the film holds in the popular consciousness still, yeah, you know, fifty years after it came out, is is really something. It's it's in that glut of films like The Great Escape, Zulu. Battle of Britain, doesn't like yeah. Kelly's Heroes. It's it's Wings in that there. it's yeah. in that group of films that every that a lot of people grew up with. There's a nostalgia link, but also it's great cinema. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. It's, it's timeless. It, it, it in that hits respect. all the beats and yeah. the someone for everyone. It's, it's this whole thing of that casting is. Oh, I've seen him in that. Oh, he's great in that. Oh, I've seen Peck in this. Oh, I've seen Quinn in this. It's yeah. this whole hitting everything right somehow everything falling into place and it doesn't happen very often in cinema or film anymore i don't think because i personally i know we have the stars but i think to do movies like this i think it's more risky than it ever has been because of obviously trying to get the money back trying to not make a flop i think yeah studios become very scared of making something big and it failing and um, it's sad that the closest we get to it now is is like the expendables or marvel yeah Exactly, really? and even the, and even the Expendables kind of prove that that kind of movie, Expendables, yeah, yeah, Expendables, yeah, the Expendables doesn't really. I mean, it hits for a certain amount of people, but it doesn't necessarily hit like it used to. No, agreed. Um, I, yeah, I, just to jump off on the popular culture side of things, there. Again, the film the film sits within. It's not just like a British thing, like some films are. Mm. It it's more than that. I mean, you've got Tarantino referencing it in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, you've got it being parodied in Hot Shots Part Two. Yeah, the, in the that boat, boat sequence. sequence. Yeah, <laughs> um, you've got a level on um, Call of Duty United Offensive in two thousand and five, and 
Wu-Tang Clan, Method Man, Guns and Navarro tearing up your battle zone from Triumph featuring yeah. Cappadonna from their 1997 comeback album. Yep. Wu-Tang forever, man. Yeah. Wu-Tang! <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> Fantastic. Ain't nothing Love to it. fuck with. Anyway, Pro- moving on. <laughs> Final film ain't nothing to fuck with. <laughs> moving on to the Alley Sally. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It's time for Ali Tally on Fighting on Film. The 150th Ali Tally. 150 alley tallies is an incredible feat so it really I think is before we dive into it we i'm just going to explain in case anyone's been listening since day one and has you know has never really known what alley tally means watch an alley tally what what the hell anyway so essentially alley is cool military kit stuff that's unique interesting looks a bit cool um it's british parlance um and tally is like Tally chart, bar chart, tally chart type stuff. Yeah. Put them together. Yeah. Alley tally. It, alley it rolled tally. off the tongue. Yeah. We thought we thought it was a good idea for and another and segment I must title, mention, but it confused a lot of people. It yeah, it still does. Um, but I must <laughs> say another big thank you to Chaz Mina um, for doing yeah. those. And he sent us a big long reel of takes he of that alley tally. That, I, I I love him for doing it. Oh, it's fantastic. If Chaz, if you're listening, thanks again for that for that um, voice over there. It's fantastic. We never want to change it. Um, Anyway, but I'll kick off the alley tally this week Go by just it. saying some of the fits on show, some of the drip. Oh, that's my second entry is, is just the drip. When they when they change from their battle dress into their sort of uh, trying How to blend does in, keep that beret on throughout the storm. It must be pinned like at the back or something, right? Um, but he's got like Niven with his little cap and navy peacoat polka dot scarf. You've got mm. Baker in the beanie hat and like the rough sort of oh, navel looks good. look and that beard. And the beard, yeah, oh, just I, Baker does something to me in that movie. Just oh, jeez, you know, if I wasn't a married man and it was fifty odd years I ago, I mean, Anthony Quinn in that white suit with, the, with oh, the with the shoulder holster does oh, it for me, and that oh, mustache. Listen, Niven in battle dress as well, like that is really nice because you like you only get really that in the way ahead and and like um, Paper Tiger. <laughs> Mm, mm. Exactly, he looks so good in it. Um, everyone, everyone looks so great. The the characterization in the costume is really good mm. for me. Like mm. Quail, sorry, Quinn with his 
sheepskin. You've got quail wearing sort of company man type stuff. He's not as um, mm-hmm. rough as the rest. Um, Shout out you know, to James Robertson Justice's, you know, casual suit that he's wearing when he's giving the, great. Brief, the briefing. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, looking, yeah. Looking and sharp. Quail looking like in that sequence looks like he's just got back from Albania in his SOE gear. Like he <laughs> he just looks like he's rolled into an O group after, you know. Like, <laughs> I left Ludovic's guns there for them. They'll find those in 40 odd years. Um anyway, but it's just the the the, the costuming is great in this. Um mm, it is. And it's just I love it. Um Matt, off you go. Well, another gem from Foreman's um behind the scenes featurette was the guns, the the titular guns, we've got to talk about them. They weighed over fifteen tons, Rob. Wow. Yeah, they they were eighty feet. I long, always 15... thought it was. I thought it yeah. was like camera trickery or something. Fifteen fifteen tons, eighty feet long, and he claims wow. that they were the biggest um, prop ever made for a movie up until that point. I bet they were. Yeah. Huge. Um, Huge. He says he says that they were bigger than Germany's Big Bertha used during World War One wow. and Two. Do you know what they actually were? Do you know or not? They, they would, I think they're just meant to be like 12 or 15 inch guns, I'm sure, okay. or something like that. But I, Big they boys. look great. Yeah, they do look fantastic. Yeah, they're they very really imposing. Great. As, mm. I think it's something I was talking about to my wife the other day. We're watching Chernobyl. It's very hard to make a building scary, but they do mm. it in this and they obviously do it in, you know, RBMK reactor exploding. It's completely different, but doing that as, as, as a filmmaker, as a, as a visionary director, uh, you know, cinematographer making a building imposing can be quite hard, and they get it in this. It's it's like the castle and, and the cliff and the, and the mountain in where Eagles there. It's the same energy. Mm. Um, it, I just I I I read somewhere that they, they redressed that uh the the cave set for um Eagles there the you know the the, oh, the really? um the uh the cable car bit but it wouldn't I, surprise me maybe I mean, yeah I mean, it's they, possible they blew fuck but out of it at the end so they might have to do a bit they of rebuilding. Did, but who knows yeah. um what else is in there i've already mentioned um tony quinn's shoulder holster which is peak very cool. sat there on the bed with the paper and he's got his enfield little number two one, enfield. one star love it like, wait yeah. who's, who's coming through this door <laughs> oh it's just it's just Gregory. It's Gregory. Peck. It's me. Hello. I can't do Gregory Peck. Can't do I'm, Peck. Not, I'm not going to try again. So help me God, I will blow up those fucking guns. <laughs> <laughs> can't do it either. No, anyway. it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and then of course there's you know the Hellenic army pops up with mm. a thousand soldiers, M1 over one howitzers, chaffees, M8 greyhounds, all that Lendley stuff they bought. Yep. <laughs> fucking six actual destroyers. Hello. The former's like, do you have any? Do you have any? Um, do you have any uh, destroyers we can borrow? And the, you know, the Greek Navy's like, yeah, we got like we bought a ton after the war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably some um, of those destroyers have probably been all around the world here in the war. It, yeah, they were. Um, they were uh, former uh, U.S. Navy yeah. destroyers. Um, wow. One of them survives actually. It's a um, USS Albany. It's a museum ship now. Fourth trip. We US. need to see it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> shout out to Nibbins Explosive Rat. Which uh, it's really cool, isn't it? Is a little joke in the film, but was a real thing, and they did do that yeah. with uh, with I like it. SOE. It was really a nice um, inclusion. I've got to start on the Sten chat. There's so many Stens in this, and interesting and ones, ones in that. as well. Mark one stars, yeah. Mm. So me and Matt, like obviously Matt, if you don't know Matt's farms historian, it's his, his life's like you know his, his calling, his profession. 
Um, mm-hmm. And me and Matt always wonder, where did all the Mark I stars go? Because everyone knows a Mark I, everyone knows a Mark II, but they don't know a Mark I star, which is the, the yeah. first iteration of a, of a like, you know, full production Sten. And I think this movie's got probably got the most in one, one area. There's a handful movie. of films, isn't there, that have Mark I stars in yeah. them? 633 Squadron's got a few. Yeah, Telemark. Telemark. There's another um, one that's got them in. Paratrooper's got them in, hasn't it? Yeah, yes, it does. Yeah. Yes, it does. Um, but they don't fire um, them. They don't fire them in this. No, they don't. Um, there's a and sequence. I tell you what, before we move on to the, the travesty of those, the Stens you're about to mention. Yeah. If everyone holds the Sten by the magazine in this film. It's classic. And that's a cliche. And that fascinates me because the manual says you hold it by the um, barrel nut or by the. Um, uh, the the trigger mechanism housing underneath yes. a, underneath a gun. You don't hold it by the magazine because it can induce a stoppage. And you would think Quail and and um, Niven would Niven know would that. know that. Yeah. Well, they don't give a shit. They they know it looks cool. Um, yeah, exactly. It's how you expect plenty, it. To be fair, film. there are plenty of photographs of guys, actual guys during the war. There's tons. Yeah. Way. Like let's yeah. let's not exactly. And it fits because the manual that, says it. I mean, that looks and feels right. If you ever he- held a sten, you instinctively totally want to hold the magazine, don't mm-hmm. you? Um, mm-hmm. I think that's why they probably put a foregrip on it on their Mark V to stop guys yeah. doing it. And and on the Mark One as well, the Mark One before they simplified it with the Mark One start, it did have a little folding foregrip just underneath yes. the magazine. Oh yeah, um, did you know, that weird sort of underneath thing that makes yeah. it look a bit yeah so ungainly. Very. And it is ungainly. I've handled T yeah. forty, the very first sten gun. Oh wow. Um, all right, flex. All right, I might have well, guns never well, you, you, you cracked out the guns never own book, didn't you? So I'm going like, to mention oh, the time I, I took apart T40, the first Sten, first sten gun. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, but they it, are. They, it they, does feel proper and gainly, and it's very You can tell why they put it on a diet when they went commercial, because I don't think the, the Woodstocks would have just, you know, crippled the firearms industry at the time. Which is when needed. Just extra work. But... Exactly. We got we got to talk about the other stands. Yeah, room. they've got. See now, Mark II stands appear, and I'm thinking, oh, okay, they you know they might have just had these. I've not seen them, but then they fire, and there's no recoil, and there's this very odd flash coming they're holding out them in a very weird way as well. And they're holding like they, them in they, an they odd... can't get their hand around the whole no. stock. Yeah, and what they are is they stands with a gasket fitted on. And they're in a few movies. They're actually, there's one in an episode of The Four Just Men where Hawkins. Yes, I remember you telling me about that. Yeah, is trying to stop a, um, like a sort of uprising by a rogue. Um, that's in Greece, that that episode, actually, I think, mm. on a Greek island. Um, and there's one in that. And you can clearly see the, the gas tank coming up the guy's back and through his sleeve and into the gun. So there's clearly a a separate little tank that they're wearing or that you put to one side. Um, but they're just really odd. Because we we can't can't find out and we can't work out why they've got them and they're not using blank firers. I'd assume safety, but even safety then, safety or or it's they... the sixties. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, true. You know, I don't I know. Mean. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah, maybe. Um, but I, they just look terrible. They and look the whole funny. I really, um, you know, we're going to talk favorite scenes in a minute, but but the scene I really hate in this film is when Papademus strolls out and starts like just hip firing like entire like section of germans he does like well, a, two boxes of, of nine mil there didn't he i know in right mag. you must have had a lanchester magazine <laughs> yeah um, yeah <laughs> and then he's like one-on-one with another german officer he's also found a sten from somewhere 
yeah, who, who has a stent and it's the one of the gas that's ones an, and they just like flatten actually... each other. Well, it could be an MP3008, um, but they're not out for another two years. That's the German copy of a stem for anyone who doesn't know. Um, But it's not. It's clearly not. And that that scene is the only one of the few scenes that I don't like because it's a bit silly. Yeah, and it's just... They could have done his death in a much more weighty way, I think. Yeah. I like the line that Quinn has at the end. He forgot what he was fighting for or whatever it was at the end. Goes a bit stir, goes a bit glaze-eyed, doesn't he? He does, yeah. yeah. It, it goes a bit um, um, kill happy, and um, he does riddle that Jerry. I mean, that he, Jerry. Well, he gets... riddles all of those Jerry's. Riddles them. He, he does a cracking job, yeah. but the 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 gas fire instead just takes me out. Because there's scene. no recoil, I think. And I know that's takes... rivet countery. It but takes it something bad. away from it. It does, but there's a and the reason we surmise that the 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 Mark ones weren't fired because there's a scene, the boat scene, quails opening up on the. Mm. On the ship, on the on the Kriegsmarine, and he's doing like he's flailing around with a sten as if he's firing it, but there's no flash coming out, and there's no the, the bolt's not moving. So there's, there's that bit where they um, swap vehicles after they're in um, German kit, mm. and there's a radio man in the back of the one they're commandeering, and yeah. you know he, we think, oh no, he's going to get a message off, but no, um, Quinn just. Like steps around the side and just absolutely <laughs> yeah. loads on it. I, I always wonder why they don't just use the MP40s because there's a there's an abundance right. of them, isn't there? There is. Then, yeah. I, may, I don't know. It's maybe it's just. But who with knows? that scene where he shoots the radio guy in the truck, I always thought, oh, it, that that is actually, you know, firing Sten. But it, I watched it again. It kind of cuts away to just mm. um, squibs going off inside. Yes. Rather mm. than you actually seeing Quinn. Fire the gun. Mm. So um, it, it's possibly, you know, maybe. yeah. But moving on from Sten. Like firing was the Sten. From Sten chest. Because um, we love a Sten on the show. Um, I think every we British do. British man or woman does love a Sten. I think you're constantly obliged it, deep down. at birth to love the Sten. We are Sten enjoyers. Anyway, um, as I mentioned, MP40s, um, I really like the 1934 Mauser pocket pistol, which is the only oh, pistol yeah. they seem to have in the movie mm-hmm. with the silencer. Every time yeah. you see that weapon produced with the silencer, someone's tying the silencer someone's on the end. Silencer That's on, really yeah. cool. Um, love that. You get some cool sort of where eagles dare type kills with that. That must mm-hmm. be a that must be a McLean-ness, perhaps. Yes, because um, it's also I can, I can almost dead. imagine what the line is. He he coolly leveled the silenced Mauser. Yes, yes, put that's a single it, yeah. round into the back of the radio yes. operator with a, <laughs> with a silent like thud. He dropped the sentry, <laughs> and then he looked over at Richard Burton. I think we've got to get out of here. Anyway, um, <laughs> then you've got Baker's Fairburn Sykes, which I really like. Yeah, um, that's really cool. Um, Papa Demos on the Bren on the boat. You never see the yeah. Bren again. And he's got, lost. he's got the um, carry handle locked in the assault. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. Gives, absolutely gives it some to those Jerry's. Oh, um, Quinn's spike rifle. Yeah, that's cool. What is the, that? Is, I couldn't I think it's it a K98K with like a wrap and a scope hmm. mounted, I think. Very nice. It's a rich anyway. Yeah, I'll talk about it later, but that scene is one of the few scenes where I wanted all the lads to pop up with their stens. It would have been, been cool, wouldn't it? Mm. I mean, Quinn. Quinn is is metal in that sequence, though. Oh, it nails absolutely doesn't nails miss. In that scene. Doesn't miss. Of course, he doesn't. No, it's like Leia's blaster. It's Quail's and then, sniper. The best part of it is he gets gets back to where they're going ahead of them. Yeah. He's like, oh, hello. Here at last. <laughs> yeah. I just held great. up an entire German column. 
Yeah, on my and own. And you still Thanks. took an age carrying Tony Quinn here, <laughs> uh, Tony Quayle here. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then there's some vehicles in there that are nice. And Matt mentioned it, but there's M24 Chaffees, which I always mm-hmm. think this movie makes them look adorably small when they're all like in a line together. <laughs> Isn't it weird how the the greyhounds, which are like the you know wheeled scout car, kind of look the same size as Chaffee in this? Yeah, one? yeah. <laughs> um, and I like the sort of paint job they've done on them to make them look a bit more German. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have the Dodges. Uh, a Catalina flying boat is in there. Yeah, um, Lancasters, but I think they're model ones. And if you notice, yes. and it always makes me laugh, and I don't know if anyone's ever noticed this, but me, but in the sequence where the the Lancasters coming down. <laughs> When it comes down, obviously it's not the focus of the shot, but there's a Lancaster like in midair. It doesn't move. It's just like solid. It's in a holding pattern, Rob. <laughs> yeah, well, well, like hovering. Like, <laughs> a Harrier jump Lancaster, that, that rare make of Lancaster. Um, but it always makes me laugh. Go and find it if you haven't seen it. Um, the Stuka's in there as well. Uh, mm. Piper Cub Scout. And there's one, and I was jumping when I saw it. There's one Bedford MW. Oh. It couldn't be the 150th episode of Final Film if there wasn't a Betty involved somewhere. I was like, Betty Watch can come back for one week. Yeah. <laughs> the Bedford Report. Oh, my God, that's amazing. We should call oh. it that. Oh, my God, yeah. That's a show. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a new feature, the Bedford Report. But, yeah, yeah, no, fantastic. I mean, a great Ali Tally again. Um, and I think we always find this with these classics, these really, you know, cultural held-on-to movies. Is it? There's just everything going for them, isn't there? Yeah, it definitely, it, you know, there's a layer of something for everyone, whether you mm. are a rivet counter or, or just not. a casual yeah. cinema goer. <laughs> yeah, and there's enough commando book style action in there as well that mm. I love. Um, un, 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 unashamedly so, which I really appreciate. Fun fact, the Greek army provided their best mountain climbers for the film. Oh, wow, so what, those German troops are... Oh, okay. Yeah, and some wow. of the sequences where you know Peck's climbing stuff. Oh, yeah, it's obviously not Peck. Yeah. yeah, I know they film that climbing. She means he's not the greatest mountain climber in the world. <laughs> you know, he might be, but you know, um, they so help me, God, I will climb this mountain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, they filmed it I lying do down with a with a like a sort of made up bit of set of mountainside, and then it's them climbing on their bellies. Which and it looks mm. really great with this rear projection. Yeah. Um, yeah. love it. So now I think we should move into favorite scenes. Hello, I'm Al Murray, and you're listening to Fighting on Film, the world's number one war film podcast. Rob, what's your favorite scene? My favorite scenes are I don't want to rob it off you, but it's when Niven has his monologues. Oh, um, yeah, they're good. And mostly mm. I just love Niven in this. I mean, I absolutely adore Niven, like, you know, one of the perennial British actors of his time. Um, and his speeches about leadership, killing, they really add, they add to the film. I think if anyone had been giving them, it wouldn't have been powerful enough. Um, mm. You know, the character is a man who doesn't want to be an officer. He doesn't want the responsibility. He's passed himself up so many times. Um, but the, it's the one where he gives the... Uh, he discovers that Mallory is using Franklin as a ruse. Yes. Um, and it's just some quotes that I've picked out. It's, I'm sorry, old Bean, you chose the wrong uniform, which I love when he's chatting to Baker, um, yeah. being the... Because he's having to shave his beard off, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he says, like, you know, suppose your ventriloquist dummy doesn't talk. Um, you're powerful. And then 
the line where he says, you've used up an important human being and he, and how he enunciates that line is really, really good and, and weighty. Um, and it's, I misjudged you. You're rather a ruthless character, Captain Mallory. Sort of finally working out the men he's with aren't perhaps the men he thought they were. Yeah. Um, in only the, a way the thing I like about do. that scene is the way he flips from comedic to very serious. Yes. Because you mentioned yes. today, he says, um, I think he says, not very hygienic, shocking taste in undies too, is is a scene later on, which I yeah. want to talk about, where um, they steal the clothing off, off the Germans. Mm. He can flip so well. That's what he was good at. I mean, you yeah. if you see his performance from separate tables, it is he is that kind of character where he's trying to be funny, but there's this mm. weight and emotion behind what he's saying. And he even doesn't do it in every film he's ever in, but the ones where he does do it, you can genuinely see there is a very good actor there. And I know he didn't ever have any formal acting training, but he's natural at it. It really comes to him. Um, and at the end of the speech where he's going, I don't care about war anymore, I care about Roy. You, you just know he's a people person. He cares about human mm. beings. It doesn't, the war to him isn't important. You know, the fact he's good with explosives is just something that war's brought about to him, perhaps. I don't feel like he is a career soldier. He's just in it because he's in it, because you have to be in it, because it's a war. Yeah, found himself there. Yeah, that's how I feel about the character. And then the one funny line, and I, I, I want to know, and maybe we never will, but is this is that a ad lib or is that in the script? Because when he puts on the, the Jerry jacket and hat and he goes, Hail me, it just seems so <laughs> off the cuff. I just love it. And it again, it's it's just the strength of the casting. Niven really ties this movie up. And his he's so Niven and Peck so Peck, if mm. that makes any sense. They 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 bounce yeah. off each other like batteries that have been put in the yeah, wrong, there's a dynamism there like isn't magnets it? yeah i just mm. it's just great like and and but yeah that's one of my, that is probably my favorite scene when niv and the penny drops um that you're on you're on a mission with maybe fallible ruthless people sorts. Yeah. yeah ruthless men yeah yeah. I, yeah I agree that that's a great scene um mentioned it earlier i i really love i, I love quinn's character in this yes you know, um Former former um, Greek army colonel, um, just an absolute ruthless bastard. Yeah, um, a tank great, of a man. Yeah, yeah gr- great presence, amazing presence actually, and and a really good backstory for the character and his relationship with Mallory. Mm. Ma- Mallory um, gives parole to a German patrol um, to get their wounded back, and they they shoot the wounded and go and blow up. Um, yeah, Quinn's character's house with his family in it. And he's going to kill Mallory at the end of the war, um, yeah. and that is that is a really interesting dynamic throughout the film. Could have been explored a little bit more, arguably, but mm. not necessary because there's enough going on. Um, but I really love that sequence where he he holds off the the German like Alpine Patrol, the the, the, the Jaegers. As we mentioned, it's he, just nails, isn't it? It's just, just, it's you, just get, great. you get a, a classic through the scope shot as well. Yeah, um, and he he, t- he takes the opposite spares, Rob. He's a pro. He, he knows what he's doing. He, he drops, he's drops doing. the Quinn's done this. He's done this before. You know, getting positions. Yeah, not staying in one spot for too long. I just wanted it to go on longer. I just, just wanted yeah. more of Quinn. Much. So, what you're saying is better than the sniper sequence in Anzio. Is that what you're saying? Oh, that's that's oh, that's that's a difficult. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hate silly. to be dis- I hate to disappoint, but you know, <laughs> Anzio's not uh, fantastic. It's not. Um. 
yeah, and you said it before we started recording that it, what you really want in that sequence is is just like is like Niven to pop up the Sten gun or a yeah, like a stick of dynamite or something. Yeah, yeah. Mm, just that's just the only, a only little thing. bit of a set piece. Um, yeah, mid midway. You don't really there is, get it. There is another scene I want to talk about a little bit. Uh, it's not. It's a favourite because it's very tense. And again, Quinn does give an interesting performance. It's during the interrogation sequence where they're captured after yeah. the lit wedding. And um, Your Excellency, Your Excellency. Yeah, yeah. he's r- writhing around on the floor, like chewing the scenery. It's, you know, he's going for it. <laughs> I love Baker. Um, like, you yellow belly. Like, yeah, so yeah. the lines Baker has are perfect for him. Like, there's are. no one else that to give them. That is very mm. true. Um, and it, that scene is so interesting because we get the, the the bleach blonde SS officer arrives, and that scene really plays into the 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 good German, you know, the clean here mm. mythos. It really. I was watching that. We're and not, I thought we're not all like him. Yeah, I was literally wondering. says says it out loud, and we're it really like does SS. play into that. Um, yeah, I, was, I was wondering if you were going to bring that up because I'd admit I'd have said it if not. I think these movies do do that um, more than we think, um, and especially in this period of, of the revisionism and the actual look. You know, very the interesting. Hero, the Wehrmacht were bad. The Kriegsmarine were bad. The the Luftwaffe were bad. You know, it, because they were part of the regime, they were carrying out what they were doing. Yeah. And I do think these movies, in their way, as you say, do lean into that myth. And and the, the SS officer has a has a um Langer pistol, the, the long barrel Luger, which comes out of nowhere. And he yeah, just like lays up. it on anti like Quail's Absolute leg. Bastards. That's like what you did it. On his gangrenous leg. And then he That man he does this thing. for the SOE in Albania, you he, he does this thing where he, he lets it like fall onto its side. Yeah. And it, it's it's really nicely framed in the shot. And the way he does it is so like delicate and gentle. It's so menacing, isn't it? And it and it is, and it's got that menacing um evilness to it yeah yeah and it's it's that is a really interesting scene on so many levels not only because it is a classic interrogation so you get the classic cliche of the guy sort of becoming a nervous wreck to try and get them away and you get the cliche of oh i'm ill all of a sudden i'm having a heart attack you know and and the the the, uh the here office is just like what the what what is this bullshit (laughs) Um, they're all looking at you like what the hell are you doing (laughs) yeah like Tony, you're embarrassing us. Can you not? Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it is that, isn't it? Really? Yeah, it's great. Um, but it works. You know, fair play to him. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting scene, not only because of you know those themes, but also the the good German mythos that comes in. Yeah, um, it is. Um, we get a little bit of that later, and there's the whole um, what's it? What's it called? Uh, Scopla mine. Oh, Scop. Scopolamine, scopolamine, yeah, scopolamine. Yeah, I I, I, I was like, is that made up? So I I did a bit of research on that, and apparently, it's it is actually a drug that was pushed as a truth serum. Yeah, yeah. Um, because because Niven's supposing they don't have any. Yeah, exactly. That's something Niven talks about. Yeah, like he's just going to get tortured and may never Mm. give up the secrets for nothing. Yeah. Um. And apparently it emerged in uh, the US in the 20s. It was pushed as, um, as a truth serum. Um, oh, so wow, okay. Real thing. I I think it's really interesting that they do that whole sequence where they they bargain within that interrogation sequence. Mm. Because there's the whole commando um, order is yes. a thing at that point. 
they're all a bit shot anyway. The spies or yeah, commandos. I think they, they would have been made it out uniform, room, their commandos. Personally. They'd have been shot yeah. anyway. Mm. Um, I think it. There's a there's a there's a great line. Um, it's got nothing to do with that sequence either. Um, but it's it's you know we talked about how Baker's lines all fit in really well. There's a line he has earlier in the film where he says, "I've been killing Germans since 1937. There's no end to them." I love it. It's so great when he's explaining that he's had enough of killing. Yeah. Um, again, that is a great scene. Baker plays these damaged men so well. Does it his, his mm, entire career? Does. And I think that's why I love him so much because there's never. It's nice to see him get to stretch his legs a bit. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's nice to see him at like because there aren't. I'm doing him a disservice by saying there aren't any other movies in his career where he's up with these big names. But in terms of stardom at the time, like to mm. have him in it cements him for me is. He is Sir Stanley Baker. You know, there's a reason why he is who he is. And mm. it's, you know, if Hawkins had been younger, maybe it would have worked with him. Um, I know that Kenneth Moore was meant to be that role. Yeah. But I don't see Kenneth Moore in that for me. No, I don't either. I, I love Ken Moore. I do. And, you know, when we do uh, Northwest Frontier, you'll see yes. you'll see him in an action role where he's himself. And it's, it's very mm. human, but it's also very um, classic british officer yeah. baker has this sort of thuggishness to him that he can bring mm. out but oh, he didn't absolutely. do it all the time but it just no. as i say it's, it's just good um maybe we should go into final thoughts yeah matt take us away it's interesting isn't it because it's supposed to be an anti-war film and there are elements of that throughout so i mean obviously that um dialogue we were just talking about with uh with baker mm-hmm. there's niven's entire sequence where he says i just care about roy um yeah there's um there's there's darren's character that becomes you know so obsessed with killing that it sees his own death it's his undoing yeah it is um i think the anti-war themes in that in in the film are often forgotten uh, or perhaps overshadowed by the fact that it's also a classic adventure film it's also an espionage film it's a man mm. it's a men on a mission film it just so happens to be you know set during the war and it's, you know, there's, it, it's it's also like a almost a road trip movie where they're moving from the yeah. across the hills, and you know, there's even like the classic. There's maps showing their progress, kind of yeah, thing, like Indiana overlaid. Jones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I love that. I love that Navarone itself is a map painting. Yes, that's fun. Yeah. I just love you it. You can see it's why so they've cute. done it. I love how they like slip in the town. Yes. On, on what was probably just an empty bay. And they've painted over it, and it's, it's just, great. It fits. It, it just looks yeah, it looks good. great. It looks great. Um, it it's interesting because the way that the skill of the filmmaking mm. that's been brought to it makes it such an exciting adventure. Yeah, does kind of overshadow the the elements of the script that make it an anti war film to a degree. Yeah, yeah. Because when the when the film slows down to try and do that on on repeat viewings, it can feel a little bit forced in, but it's not. But I can see why it's lost. Yeah, because it's underlying all the way through. Yeah. And it, again, we we talked about this actually during our um our talk about you know with Charmy on film. We talked about fallible men. Yeah. And it portraying the humanity of men in war and and people in war. Mm. And I think the film strives to do that, and it does hit a couple of really 
nice scenes and there's a couple of little bits in the background that work really well like the interactions between quinn and the uh resistance leader lady yep. um i've forgotten the actress's name um that work really well that show that they have like a mutual respect and that grows and then there's an affection that's nice but i do think you know just you wouldn't go oh Guns and Everyone, what a great anti-war movie that is. Yeah, no, it doesn't People go, oh, time. what a classic yeah. action movie. What a classic adventure that is. You just, mm. People don't have that in mind. And I, I think maybe maybe that's a good thing because maybe, you know, repeat viewing because it's one of those films that's always on TV, especially over here in the UK, it's often on. Yeah. Um, and I think it's the same for, for it elsewhere. It bounces well. between ser- streaming services and channels. It's yeah, one it of does. those. I, and I think, I think channels and streaming services keep buying the rights to play it because of its enduring quality as a film yeah um and what i was what my point was i was just going to say that perhaps with repeat viewing these are the kind of things that you do kind of take on yeah yeah eventually even if you don't see it on the the, first run through the niven speech about war going on and there's gonna be so many wars till there's no one left and all that it does come through um but at that point of the film that's not the point the point is Roy's being used mm. you know Niven is learning that Mallory's a bit of a shit um, mm. and then after that the, the traitor sequence as well and you know Niven saying uh, Mallory saying to Niven, Niven that you know you're in it to the end now there's blood on your hands type thing um, that might not necessarily be construed as directly anti-war but I get where they're going but I, I think as you, as you said it, it does get lost and I don't think that's a bad thing no um, because at least it hasn't and, got like a forced in message that other yeah, movies around that time I, try well, there's that to. sequence where the, the traitor's on Earth, isn't there? And, and Niven, mm. you know, berates Peck's character and says, you know, we've been doing all the lifting. Like, it's it's time that you, yeah. you know, dirtied your hands and you killed your well, killer. I wanted Niven to turn around and go, well, I did throw TNT into the boat. And I did do that. Oh, um, that, that, we really, we, we, we we should have mentioned that in favorite scenes because I fucking love that sequence on the boat. So good. It's just, it's so good. Like the coup de gras would never just throw the dash of that TNT into the, into it's the, great. If, he, the if only he had lit it with his cigarette, it would have been Oof. icing on the top, but it's, it's mm. just great, isn't it? Um, but that's what I think as well makes that scene work because we've seen Niven do things. We've seen him be quick thinking in, in the, in the room where they're going to get discovered in, in the town and Niven's right, right, we've got to get out of here. Oh, look, there's a there's an entrance up to the roof. Niven does yeah. that. Yeah. N- Niven puts on, thinks to put on the, the German kit, even if they're not going to, even if they are anyway, but he does it first. Mm-hmm. Niven throws, as I say, throws the dynamite into the thing. We've seen it happen. So he well, it's it's the end of the film too. So he he's the one that thinks, oh, well, they're gonna find the explosives on the guns themselves. I'll hide something in the magazine. Exactly. Oh, and shout out to the bit where he lifts up like the powder charge. And Niven yes. and Peck's face is just like, oh. <laughs> oh, is it a shell? Yeah, exactly. He's like, oh, no, there's this little bad, this little bad boy as well. You know, and it's not a direct <laughs> quote, but you know, like it might as well be. Um, it's just great. He uh, he's the glue that holds the movie together. Um, yeah. as I say, and for me, final thoughts this week. You know, I've got down here quite possibly the only film that rivals where Eagles there in that Men on a Mission genre. Mm. Kelly's Heroes is the kind of the same, but it's different. Um. It, it's a different beast. Um, it, it's perfectly Very different, paced. Um, tone. Yes, different, much different tone. You know, obviously the the, the Vietnam War uh, parallels 
cannot be um, misplaced in that one. Um, I say it's almost perfectly paced. No subplots or tangents to muddle the story. There's no romantic subplot, even though there is. It's not really in there much. Um, you know, they haven't got a thing where they've got to do something else and it takes you away from the main action. It's very straight in the way it's presented. Um, it, it, perfect casting, almost. I always say it's Jack Hawkins away from being a 10 out of 10, not a 9.5 out of 10. It's the um, Hawk popping just, up somewhere. Exactly. It would have been great to have a Hawkins-Baker reunion for uh, Crawl C anyway. Um, my only real gripe, and I have two gripes, and they're not huge, and we kind of mentioned it already, that we don't get another shootout, a proper one, um, mm. with all the cast. I like that. Maybe in the scene where um, you know uh, Quinn is, is knocking off those uh, mountain troops I would have loved it if the cast had popped up with Stens to help him out and there could have been some funny quips there, but I understand why they don't. Um, and then and I'd I like this... Peck to light them up as they're coming down the tunnel and then he slams a door in their face. It would have been nice. While yeah. Niven's setting up the explosive charge. Because it feels that. Would that... Been... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we could have had we could have had like Gregory Peck with two two Stenmark ones, <laughs> giving it a bit of Clint Eastwood. That would have been amazing to have it twice. <laughs> um, um and then I also think, and I don't know how you feel on this one, I don't know how the listeners feel about this, but I feel like the scene with the storm and the with the boat crashing up against the waves goes on just a bit too long. It's the only part of the movie where I'm like, come on, let's get the ball rolling. I've seen the ship smash into that rock about 10 times now. It's, it's the only part of the yeah. movie where I'm like, come I, on. I know. it's Visually, it's very impressive and it looks great yes, and it's yes. exciting. But... You can tell why it won best oscar for effects you can you can see yeah. it and you can see that a lot of time and effort was spent on it and it just maybe 40 60 seconds cut from it would really You'd cut about two minutes out i reckon if you yeah maybe yeah i mean if you if you consider what i thought was really interesting about that actually that just just reminded me is from the time peck leaves the cockpit of the of the boat the the the, the viewing room as you call yeah, it the viewing um, room. <laughs> <laughs> Explain that for listeners, please, because it makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. Um there was there was an occasion where Rob was trying to think of the name of a bridge of a ship and he described it as the viewing room. Could you view the sea from it? So I was like, it makes sense in my brain. I, no, there's a definite logic. Anyway. Such so a loud leaves lover. the viewing room and he, he's on deck and the storm's crashing and you know, poor, poor Tony Quinn's the only guy on the pump. <laughs> like yeah. And like Niven's Quite in the hold, like sloshing time. around in like six foot of water. Yeah. <laughs> Niven's had nap tea. <laughs> yeah, like, he is. He's 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 doing the um um the, the classic being mother. He is, he's being mother. Anyway, so what I think is great about that sequence, although it does, I agree, it does go on a little too long, mm. is from the moment he leaves the 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 boathouse, the wheelhouse, um rather, there's no dialogue. Up no, until the point yes. where they're at the base of the cliff. I think that's why that scene drags. I think that's why you might have cracked out there. No one's saying anything. And I can see what they're doing. And, it, it you know, there's some great acting going on. Um, you know, Niven manages to keep that beret on throughout all of it, which is incredible. It's pinned. It must be pinned, surely. It's just sheer will, Rob. Sheer yeah. force of will. Um, but we don't really get any dialogue until they're literally pecked, scales the cliff. Mm. and you know drops the, the the actual rope down for them and, and they start climbing and, and then there's some discussion at, at the last other than that it's a it's 
all done through you know visual cues and acting yeah. and, and it could just be my modern movie brain being like be. this needs to be quicker and you know what if i hadn't seen it for you know it, i haven't when i watched it for this i hadn't seen it for you know it must be about 18 months maybe two years even. oh okay i watched while. it very very recently um, but when we said we were that might do be it, it because if, if you know head. it's coming and it's one of those scenes where you're like okay let's get into the story mm. and yeah I, if you've watched it within like six eight months then i can see how you would yeah, think can, this is dragging a little bit yeah 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 but i agree yeah. i think if you if you trimmed a little bit out of it i think it would be a bit more it wouldn't smell it would run yeah i agree and then my only my only other gripe and it's I mean, if you're a long time listener to the show you'll know i hate it when this happens Baker's death goes out like a, oh, goes out on a whimper. Like, yeah. And his little death face it's a bit is confused, just very isn't odd. It? It's yeah. a bit confused because you think, oh, he got him. Yeah, I think that. And then he falls the back shot and he's of, like, oh, they've stabbed each other. Okay. The shot of him, like I was like, oh, so did he turn the knife on the, on Baker, his own knife? Died by his own sword? I thought that's what was happening. I mean, how does the, well, the, the German chap's never seen again? No, yeah. So I, 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 I just assume that they stab <laughs> no each other. No one goes, oh, Butcher Brown's dead in the in the brig. <laughs> he's like yeah. down there, he's dead. Like no one ever says anything like that. So what happened to Baker? Why is, why isn't Stanley on the in the viewing room? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Butcher, but no, get it... up to the viewing room quick. See this <laughs> see the see that the, the guns have Navarone going up. Oh, oh, he's been stabbed. <laughs> you know, like yeah, I always just assumed that they stabbed each other somehow. Yeah, but I must have, yeah. It's, no, it's, it's a, just, very, it's a it, muddled sequence. I know what they're trying to... to go for, and it's playing into that anti-war. You know, yeah. he's getting his, it's the characters. Um, Live by the sword, die by the sword. It, it's the full circle element of yeah. it, isn't it? You know, it's, it is, it's but I just, it annoys me. So I was like, why, have, why has Baker got a, a small sort of group of movies where he goes out like a bit of a chump? <laughs> it's cruelty. He gets a sick, and he's not in it again. Red, and Red Beret gets a candlestick on his um, on it's, his um, it's terribly parachute. <laughs> terribly mm. overdone. So it so just adds to the list of movies. I'm like, oh Baker, it's not fair. But anyway, yeah. I'm glad that he was in it. But there, there was I think you know there is the Guns and Navarone there, and I don't as, as I say I've got my gripes, but I still love it. I still absolutely it's, adore it's an, it. it it's an absolute classic. And as I mentioned earlier, it does fit into that small cadre of like iconic yeah. war movies of the period, doesn't it? And the yeah. fact it's still being referenced every now and then, it's still in the consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's it's a movie that, trans, it trans, as we say, if you can get a movie like this to trans, transcend the genre that it's in mm-hmm. and have Method Absolutely. Man from the Wu-Tan Clan name check yeah. it, have Tarantino. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously Tarantino's a movie guy, but having him name check it, um, you know, it, surely that cements it, doesn't it? I think so. And that's why it had to be our 150th episode. Yeah, it did. And I think what a fitting, what a fitting um, um, film to, to top off our 150th celebrations. Absolutely. Um, thanks again for listening, everybody. And if you're brand new to the show and you've checked us out because you saw 150th and you saw Guns Navarone, please do visit our website, fightingonfilm.com, where you can find the entire back catalogue of the show. Start with Theirs is the Glory 1946, the film that started the show, and yeah. try and catch up. Um, and if you do, let us know. We'll give you a shout-out. Anyway, thanks again for listening. And um, just want to say a massive thank you to all the listeners 
everyone who's shared, everyone who's written a review for 150 episodes for the nearly three years we've been doing this. Um, us going from, uh, you know, being lucky to get 100 listens to being in top tens of Apple podcast listings. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. And we couldn't that do is it. insane. We, exactly. We couldn't do it without you guys' support. Um, thanks very much. A big thank you from me and Matt. I think that's all we can say. I think so. A special thank you to our Patreon supporters who of, of course. You know, help us keep the mics on, uh, buy yeah. books to research stuff, buy DVDs. Travel expenses, travel shows exactly. and screenings. I mean, yeah. we've got we've got some things coming up late um, in the next few weeks that we hope we can be sharing with you soon. Um, yeah. New movies coming out. We're hoping to bring them to you first on Fighting on Film and review terms. We've got some very special guests lined up. Um, so do keep a lookout on the socials um, and join us on wherever you can. And thanks very much. We'll catch you next week for another War Movie Review. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60.